from Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. China's handling of COVID-19. These actions were and are unfortunate and dangerous because it puts both our countries on a collision path. Then there's the existing problem. Unprecedented, the threat from our foreign adversary, specifically China, on the economic espionage, on the espionage front. There's the 5G problem. Uh, And what that means for our national security is if they can control data, uh, meaning if your data is flowing through their network, at some point they'll be able to control that data. What should the U.S. do about the tense relationship with China right now, given all that's at stake? Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile. Capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. The U.S. and China are on a collision course. It's been taking shape for decades, but the coronavirus has brought this all to a head a lot sooner than most people imagined. Here's the pre-existing problem that underlies everything. Every day, in the pre-dawn hours, the quiet rumble of transit begins deep beneath the city, in the streets, on its waterways, and in the skies. Hour by hour, it grows, as this city of 700,000 swells to more than a million. Waves of civil servants, military, law enforcement officers, business people, students and diplomats, and tourists saturate the city. Among them, spies, and a lot of them. Unprecedented, the threat from our foreign adversary, specifically China, on the economic espionage, on the espionage front. Brian Dugan, assistant special agent in charge of counterintelligence at the Washington field office of the FBI. There's a lot of activity in the D.C. area and in our current climate. There's a lot of people interested in finding out what the U.S. government is up to. That's not the only reason. There's also one of the biggest workforce turnovers in the history of this nation. There's a large population right now in retirement or getting close to retirement. The baby boomers that were in U.S. government are all leaving, and that population is also looking for post-government jobs. And according to Philip Mudd, former deputy director of the FBI's National Security Division, they know things. People with high-end security clearances at the State Department, the CIA, the FBI, the Department of Defense, and contractors in Washington. They number, according to Mudd, in the tens of thousands. And if you do the numbers... In that numbers game, I just think of the insider threat here, and you got to know that at any one time, someone has given it up for money or some other reason and just got to hope that the counterintelligence guys figure it out. And according to Dugan, they pretty much have, and they're taking action. Working with our federal partners to make the awareness out there for those that are getting ready to retire that we provided some really good training to you. We provided really good access for you, but this is not for sale. And for those who reject, miss, or ignore the message... Of course, there's always going to be moments that we're going to have people decide to cooperate with the enemy. And we're going to find them, we're going to catch them. 
Now, the problem at hand has multiple parts. There's the 5G problem and the most pressing problem, the COVID-19 outbreak. The U.S. and many international governments have found themselves between a rock and a hard place, and China's pushing on both of them. Mike Rogers, former House Intelligence Committee chairman, now head of 5G Action Now, a nonprofit, is sounding the alarm about China's 5G push. China, along the way, according to FBI indictments, was using bribery, uh, economic extortion, intellectual property theft to try to gain an advantage in the marketplace uh, so that they could compete uh, over companies who were following the law, following the rules, not stealing other people's intellectual property. So oh, we watched all of that happen. They've grown exponentially in the marketplace in a very short period of time, and they've beaten you know, long-standing companies in this space. And they did it candidly because they were cheating uh, to get there. And here's the most troubling part for Rogers. The Chinese uh, Communist Party has used Huawei in other countries uh, to help despots and uh, authoritarian rulers spy on its own citizens. Uh, it's violated sanctions, meaning when, when Iran was under sanctions for its nuclear program, uh, they went in and, and violated those sanctions and provided them the ability to set up these networks. Rogers says they have a long track record of unethical and illegal behavior. And here's the thing you should remember most of all about this. Uh, and what that means for our national security is if they can control data, uh, meaning if your data is flowing through their network, at some point they'll be able to control that data and use it to their own uh, national security purposes, which would be adversarial to our own. And Rogers says if you have any doubt about what China might do if it controlled U.S. data networks, all you have to do, he says, is take a look at what's happened during the COVID-19 outbreak. And so if you give an adversary the ability to access that data, uh, two things worry intelligence officials. One, they could use it for stealing intellectual property. And more importantly, if you get into conflict, Imagine just flipping the switch and turning it all off. And by gosh, you're not going to turn it back on very easily. It's not like rebooting. And so those are these challenges in the supply chain. We're seeing that strain today with the pandemic, certainly on respirators, masks, personal uh, protection equipment of all sorts. And what that means if we are so reliant on a country like China, imagine if they can say, guess what, we're turning off the network for you know, the state of California, the state of New York, the state of Florida, uh, until we get what we want, and or we're just going to cause disruption in both your economy and your security. That and the pandemic highlights our our dependence on the the Chinese Communist Party and what they produce. This should tell people this should be a great wake up call for folks to say maybe we shouldn't be that reliant. We need to understand why it's important to have our own secure. 5G network. You heard what Roger said. China basically turned its back on the U.S. when the U.S. needed it during this COVID-19 pandemic. But beyond that, China's been taunting the U.S. over our troubles with coronavirus. No one needs to be reminded that it all started in China. China has a political and moral obligation to be totally transparent with the United States and other countries as it relates to the issue of the COVID-19 pandemic. Joseph Detrani is the former director of the U.S. National Counterproliferation Center and an expert on China. 
It's clear that in December of 2019, Chinese doctors in Wuhan were talking about a SARS-similar disease that was permeating the population. One doctor in particular, Dr. Li Wenliang, was muzzled by the authorities and told not to disseminate rumors. This doctor tragically died from the COVID-19 disease in early February of 2020. In talking with Detrani, we discussed what seemed like an effort on China's part to hide something. Not only did China muzzle these doctors who were concerned about this SARS similar disease in December 2019, but China did not invite or did not respond to requests from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention in the United States. Their request to visit Wuhan to speak to their medical personnel in regards to this disease, which quickly became a pandemic affecting all countries, indeed certainly affecting the United States. In talking with Ambassador Detrani, it was made very clear, and I understood this from the very beginning. China is not obligated. To do anything, to、uh, let U.S. researchers or scientists or doctors in to see what happened with the coronavirus, but it would have gone a long way towards helping figure this out if they had. To this date, CDC has not been invited to China, nor has other, any U.S. government agency been invited to visit Wuhan to discuss the COVID-19 virus. Now, this virus could have emanated from either the wet market, which is what China says took place, or it could have been the Wuhan Institute of Virology. These issues could all be resolved by being transparent on issues like this, and that's why a visit of CDC, having these medical experts interact with the Chinese counterparts, is so. Very important. And Detrani said China's lashing out and taunting the U.S. is confusing and sad. Permitting their spokesman at the Ministry of Foreign Affairs to claim that this virus was brought to Wuhan by the United States. This is, was the、uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs、uh, spokesman making these claims. The spokesman also referred、uh, his the listeners to、uh, various tweet messages indicating that the origin of this virus was in the United States. Are these actions? Were and are unfortunate and dangerous because it puts both our countries on a collision path in regards to this pandemic and the possibility of other issues affecting the bilateral relationship, which currently is very tense. And if you remember, at the top of the program, I mentioned that the U.S. and China were on a collision course. Now we look a little closer at that collision course. Nicholas Eftimiadis is a retired U.S. intelligence officer, and he's a China expert as well. And he has some thoughts about that course of collision. So, Nick, how do you look at the the relationship between the U.S. and China from an intelligence point of view? They knew something really bad was going on for a while. They did not. Want this to be their dirty laundry to get out into the world? It did, but they didn't tell anybody, but anybody about it for a good while. What what, what happened? Right.、There? Well, they, there are a lot of problems with this,、um, and、uh, or the way China behaved, and the way they <laughs> the way they behaved, which was specifically to protect the Chinese Communist Party, was、uh, to control information,、uh, and, and you know they literally told hospitals there was a quota. On the number of of、uh, coronavirus cases that they could report, so at the end of the day, even the Chinese government doesn't know how many coronaviruses cases cases there were because they specifically did not allow the hospitals to accept them and to report them. 
So, uh, you know, from an intelligence perspective, it's an impossible problem to uh, to contend with because even your target doesn't know, you know, only has an estimate of how many deaths uh, there were. Uh, the fact of the matter is that they're, you know, the CCP preeminence, control of the party comes before everything, including the life and, hate and the health of their population. And, and their actions have proven that. What do we do with this? There are a lot of people that are saying the world needs to punish China for this. They're talking about suing. They're talking about um, financial supply chain uh, actions. They're talking about, uh, of course, security actions. Um, What's your best guess on what is the best thing to do? Uh, I believe the best thing to do is to calmly, intelligently sit back and restructure the relationship between the United States and its allies, or let's say the Western world, which lives by a rule of law, uh, to restructure the relationship with China. I think that China's actions, threatening to cut off um, medical supplies to the United States, uh, blaming the United States Army for starting this virus in China, uh, I, I think their actions prove exactly their intent towards the United States and the free world. So with this evidence in hand, it is incumbent upon our government, our Congress, and the administration to, as we pass this coronavirus issue, to restructure the relationship the United States has and will have with China. And that means from a security perspective, from economically, we need to help the companies that we have already in China that are doing business in China. We need to support them uh, so that they can do business on a fair and equitable basis. We need to protect our security interests and we need to do this in a coordinated fashion with allies. It, it has to be the world doing this. So as this discussion about what to do about adjusting the relationship with China goes, I had a very interesting conversation with Tom Vilsack, the former U.S. Agriculture Secretary, and he had some interesting things to say about our relationship with China moving forward. The question that I and others are having right now, not just about food, but about pharmaceuticals, but about PPE and, 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 and about other medical supplies coming from China, does the U.S. need to review its relationship with China, especially well, that, as far as as far as food goes? I should say that that is a very complicated question, um, and, and in part because there are a number of millions of jobs that are connected to trade with China in food. We sell a significant amount of of food products and commodities to China more than we purchase from them. I mean, it's we have a trade surplus and have had a trade surplus with them in agriculture and food products for as long as uh, I've been in public life. Uh, we sell billions of dollars of product. If, if we were to decide that we were going to shut them off and they were going to shut us off, we would be the ultimate loser in that. Uh, farmers would no longer have markets for a substantial amount of what they grow and raise, and many of the people that are involved in processing and transporting and shipping those items to China would also lose their job. So mm -hmm. I think you have to be careful about about that. Um, I think, you know, the key here is not necessarily to restrict trade. The key is to make sure that the trade is being done on a fair and reasonable basis. Uh, and I think uh, the administration uh, attempted to do that uh, with their recent uh, uh, issues with China, but I don't think that they necessarily succeeded at this point. 
they got the phase one trade deal, which is really important. But I think what they really wanted was to fundamentally change the way China does business in China with reference to American businesses. And that, that goal has not yet been accomplished. That's uh, for another round of negotiations. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to, to be clear about this, I do get the intricacies of uh, U.S. trade with China. Um, the uh, the threat by the Chinese government to withhold the pharmaceuticals from the U.S. and certain elements from the U.S. was what prompted this question to some of the folks that I uh, speak to about these matters. Uh, and that's the part of the reason why I asked that question, if the, if the relationship needs to be reviewed. And what I hear you saying is, yes, it does, but very carefully, correct? Very carefully. I mean, uh, uh, because there are certain aspects of the trade relationship where, where the Chinese have a de- definite advantage. And I think that's there needs to be a balance. And I think we have to also take a look at what is fundamental to our overall security. Uh, you know, the idea that, that many of our, our defense systems are reliant and have been in the past reliant on uh, on Chinese technology, that obviously is something that people should be concerned about. Um, they are a competitor. There's no question. And we are engaged in a fairly serious competition between China and, and the U.S. in terms of uh, uh, where we stand in terms of global leadership uh, and whether or not our system of democracy in a, in a world of constant change is more efficient, better, and, and, and more effective than their more authoritative system. And I think they're trying to make the case with this virus that somehow they've done a better job of managing the situation than we have, at least that's the message that they're trying to pervade throughout, throughout the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there, there's clearly the relationship with China is a very difficult and tricky one that has many aspects to it. Um, but on the food side, on the agriculture side, they clearly need us more than we need them. There may be other aspects of the relationship where we need them more than us. And the question is, is it properly balanced? And do we have uh, sufficient uh, alternatives if, in fact, our relationship gets strained and we need pharmaceuticals? Is there some other market where we could go? That's I, I think you always have to have that in mind. So as we wind down this discussion, I want to remind you that on March 11th, National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien spoke to the Heritage Foundation, and he gave some very interesting remarks about China and what the U.S. knew and what China knew and what the U.S. didn't know and essentially where we were at that time. And here's what he had to say. Well, the, the first thing I would want to point out is that uh, this virus did not originate in the United States. It originated in Wuhan and Hubei province in China. Uh, it originated some time ago. Uh, unfortunately, rather than using best practices, uh, this uh, outbreak in, in Wuhan was covered up. Uh, there's there's lots of open source reporting from China, from Chinese nationals, uh, that the doctors involved were either uh, silenced or, uh, <clears throat> or or put in uh, uh, isolation or that sort of thing so that the word of this virus could not get out. It probably cost the world community two months uh, to respond. And those two months, uh, if we'd had those and been able to sequence uh, the virus and had the cooperation necessary from the Chinese, uh, had a a WHO team uh, been on the ground, had a CDC team, which we'd offered, been on the ground, uh, I think we could have uh, uh, dramatically curtailed what happened both in China and what's now happening across the world. So, uh, you know, that, that, that's how it started. Uh, the president took very bold action uh, when, when we realized the extent of what was happening and we stopped uh, air travel coming in from China. There were 20,000 people a day coming from China uh, into the U.S. Uh, 
the president made a very courageous decision and was one of the first uh, leaders of a, of a major country to make that decision. I think he was the first leader of a, of a, of a major economic power to make the decision to stop the uh, uh, incoming travel of, of folks uh, who'd been in China or who were originating in China that bought the United States uh, you know, six to eight weeks to prepare uh, for the virus. He's done a number of other things. We brought in to the White House uh, Debbie Burks, a uh, fantastic physician and ambassador from the State Department. And we appreciate Secretary Pompeo uh, uh, immediately moving her over to, to the White House at, at our request, the President's request. Uh, he put Vice President uh, Pence in charge of the task force, which has been meeting uh, sometimes twice a day uh, over the last uh, almost two months uh, to get our arms around uh, Corona. So, uh, look, this is a this is a a, a complicated issue. Uh, pandemics and uh, and epidemics are uh, are some of the greatest challenges we face uh, as a country. I think we've done a good job responding to it, but it is you know look it's it, the the way that it, the, this uh, started out in China, the way it was handled from the outset uh, was not right. It should have been handled differently. Uh, but we are where we are right now. Uh, we're doing our best to work with the Chinese. Uh, one thing I'll point out is when we evacuated our citizens from Wuhan, uh, that the, the, the 747s that, uh, that flew into that city were loaded with medical supplies, masks, personal protective equipment, uh, uh, medical supplies. And those were furnished not by the government. They were, they were furnished by Americans. They were furnished by Samaritan's Purse and by the, the LDS Church out in Salt Lake and other uh, uh, Americans that wanted to, to help the people of China. And so I think we've been, uh, we, we've done what we can. We've sent our condolences to China, but now we're in a stage where we're having to deal with the crisis here. We here at Target USA have been constantly asking the White House and the National Security Council for updates on this situation. And here's what we got today, May 6th, 2020, from a senior administration official. And I'm going to read this statement. It's kind of lengthy, so bear with me. It says, the Chinese government's misleading COVID-19 response narrative and the coercive mask diplomacy demonstrate why we should all be concerned about granting untrusted vendors to communications infrastructure like 5G networks. As stated in the National Strategy to Secure 5G, the security of telecommunications networks are vital to U.S. national security and economic interest. Allowing untrusted vendors such as Huawei, which is subject to direction by the Chinese Communist Party, to control any part of our 5G network makes critical communications systems vulnerable to disruption, manipulation, and espionage. And it says the president and his administration are committed to protecting the American people from these threats, which have the potential to harm critical infrastructure, public health and safety, and our economic and national security. So that statement, on the back of what National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien said about the situation in China, looking at what we've told you already today, China's been taunting the U.S. and, and not allowing U.S. doctors and scientists and researchers to come into Wuhan to take a look at what happened with the coronavirus there, has put the U.S. and China on a very difficult and very concerning path. And it's not clear where it's going or when we'll have any idea what will happen next. We'll just have to stay tuned. And you can bet Target USA will do that. And when we learn about it, we'll bring it to you. That's it for this week's program. Next week, we'll be back on the coronavirus beat, 
figuring out the latest. We'll be looking as well at the world as a whole and all of the national and international security threats that are out there. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments, send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, that's one word, at whiskeytangooscarpapa.com. jgreen at wtop.com. Also, please follow us on Twitter at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. And if you want more information about U.S. national security, you can sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff. And you can sign up at WTOP.com slash alerts. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Be sure to check out Podcast One's great true crime programming, including shows like Copycat Killers from The Reels Channel. This is Dr. J. Buzz von Ornsteiner, forensic psychologist from Copycat Killers, Reels Channel's true crime program about real murders inspired by movies. Cold Case Files from A&E. From A&E, this is Cold Case Files. I'm Brooke, and here's the dignified Bill Curtis with the classic case, The Taunt. Court Junkie, which was recently named to Marie Claire's list of top true crime podcasts. This is Jillian, and you are listening to Court Junkie. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.